verse 32, uh, Hebrews is known as the Biblical Hall of Fame. And uh, if we read the previous 31 verses, every few verses, it starts off with by faith and then a name and something about that person. But we're going to start in verse 32 through 40. Um, if you're using a, a Bible from in the chair rack, it's page 1008. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, endorsed, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched this power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. I'd like to welcome Mark Pittman up this morning and as he shares what God has put on his heart to teach us today. church he was a little concerned he thought we're going to move into judges this morning chapter six and seven and he thought he was going to have to read all of six and seven which is about 70 verses something like that so uh, but we're thankful thank you very much for reading God's word to us this morning you know if you've done any bible reading uh, in the old testament you would find uh, probably many of these things that we've just heard about these champions of faith you know, we hear of Samson, we hear of Daniel, we hear of Samuel, mighty men, mighty men, and there are some mighty women in there as well. But this morning on this Thanksgiving weekend, I, I want to focus our thoughts on Gideon. One of the things that Gideon is very, in my mind, particularly impressive is that he is an ordinary man, just like you, just like I, ordinary person. And God used him mightily. That's what we're going to see this morning in these scriptures. The title of my message is, Are You Prepared to Be Used by God? Would you like God to use you? I mean, really, really use you. Are you a little apprehensive this morning about what he would do or could do in your life? You know, don't take me out of my comfort zone. Just let me be who I'm supposed to be. Well, Maybe God has more in store for you this morning than you imagine. When you take your last breath 
and you go from this life to the next, what will people all around you say you stood for? What life, what difference in life did you make? Did you have a legacy? I heard a man one time speak about, uh, this, man, this na- man's name was Willie. And he worked in an organization and Willie died. Willie had worked hard. He had a lot of f- folks that worked for him and he died. After his funeral, one of his fellow workers came to the boss and said, boss, I would like to apply for Willie's job. The boss pondered it for a moment and said, well, we've considered what Willie did for us. And quite frankly, we will not be replacing Willie's job because we found that Willie really didn't do anything. Man went away sorrowful, but at the same time, we have to look at in our life, what have we really done? When our life is over, what really counted in our life? What did we accomplish? What kind of people is God wanting to use today? What is his desire for you in your heart? That's what we want to talk about this morning. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Can we do that? Father, we just thank you this morning. I ask you to open the eyes of your people this morning as they uh, listen to this word and they read it. I ask you to open their ears that they might hear it from you. And I ask you to open their hearts that they might receive it. Father, also, through your Holy Spirit, bless me. Let me speak the words that you have for me and through, the, through me to your people, that, God, you would be glorified in all the things that are said here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you'll turn your, in your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 6. We're not going to read every scripture, but we're going to follow this process of where Gideon was and and, and what Gideon was going through as he worked through the, uh, this process here. And God made him a man that he called a victorious man, a man of valor. Let me tell you a little bit about the situation while you're going there. Here in Judges chapter 6, we're going to find that a man in his life of this man of Gideon that we're talking about He was on the champion list, right? We just heard it in Hebrews that he was a champion. But I want to give you a little bit of background about what was going on. In Israel at that day, it was a very dark time for Israel. They had been placed in captivity. The devil was going around. Uh, He was roaring like a lion. And the enemies of God were gaining victory after victory. And the people of God had seemingly pushed pretty much just thrown in the towel. They said, no longer were they singing on the, on the mountaintops, God is our way maker, miracle worker, you know that song. They weren't singing that anymore. The few that were left were pretty much uh, singing that song, Lord, just help me hold the fort till you come back because I, I can't take this anymore. I, I'm, I'm hard pressed. They were hopeless in that place. Many of them had turned from serving God to serving Baal. They turned from serving the God that they had brought them out and all the things that God had done for them, and they remembered, but they forgot about that, and they were now serving these idols. I got to tell you, I believe this morning that our generation, the generation that we live within today, is much that same way. 
We have turned away from the God of the Bible. And if we haven't turned away from the God of the Bible, we were talking about this in Sunday school this morning. We, we have people who use the Bible, but they turn the words. They change the words or they manipulate the words so that you might think it's what God says, but they have strayed from it. That's the world that we live in today. And I believe that that's the world that Gideon was living in as well. A dark day, a day where people were struggling to make it. People were wanting to do the right thing, I think, at times, but they just didn't know how. They had been overcome by Satan and all the things around them. Here we see Gideon. And as Gideon is sitting there in the place where he's at, and we'll talk about that in a minute, where he, he's sitting there and he says to himself, you know, where have all the miracles went? Where have all the things that God did? Where did they all go? What's happened to us here? God, have you left us? We have a generation today that really doesn't expect God to do miracles, don't we? We don't hear that anymore. No longer can I have people that say that God is saving people and God is shaking up the cities and God is shaking the world up. We don't hear that very much anymore. We're just kind of in a role where we just honker down, if you would. That's a southern term that I use, I apologize. That we sit back or we hide, if you would, and... We say, well, we'll just wait till God comes for us. We're just going to try to make it through, maybe. There's no shaking of the cities. God's kind of old, many people say today. Oh, he's just an old God, you know. He doesn't, he might hear your prayers, but he just doesn't, he's a slow God. He's not going to answer your prayer. Do you believe that this morning? I don't. But there are many people who do. They don't believe in miracles anymore. They don't believe that God can save people. They don't believe that God can take and make a way where there seems to be no way in your life. My friends, God is still God. And we need to understand that there's no shred of evidence within the scripture that says we cannot have a mighty renewal of our church today in this world that we live. Some feel it hopeless. Some feel like, well, I don't know that we can do that. You know, we're just going to take and kind of stay until God comes. No, that's not what he calls us to do. God calls us, each and every one of us, to be mighty men and women for him. And we're going to see this morning how Gideon did that. Now, our passage scripture that we're looking at here, we're going to find something about Gideon. He's kind of, a, he, he's kind of holding down, he's back in the... Uh, wine press, it says, and he's hiding, if you would. Judges chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, and you'll turn there to chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. And it says, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was Oprah, that pertained unto jo Joash. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now, he's not up on the hillside, because that's where the, the threshing floor is typically at. It's up on the hill. Why is it there? So whenever you're thrashing the wheat, the chaff flies away in the wind. But no, he's down in this wine press, and he's down there trying to thrash the wheat, if you would. Why? Because he's afraid the Midianites might see him up there, and they would come, and they would take the wheat for him. He's trying to take care of his family, but he's fearful. He's hiding, but he's still trying to do the right thing. So we see him 
working and doing this. And all of a sudden, this angel of the Lord appears unto him. And he says to him, the Lord is with thee, thy mighty man of valor. That's one thing that Gideon would not think of himself as being, I don't think, at this point. A mighty man of valor. As a matter of fact, he's so frightened, he's frightened to death, I believe. And he says, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto the, to the, the Lord, O oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, then why has all of this befallen us? And where is all of the miracles which our fathers told us or that we have saying, do not the Lord bring us from Egypt, but now the Lord hath what? The Lord has forsaken us. There's many of us who feel that same way this morning in this place. Oh, how beautiful it was back in the olden days. You've probably heard that from us old people today. Oh, it was so wonderful. It really wasn't wonderful back then, folks. It was no different then than it is today. We just see it differently in our eyes. But God has turned his back, he believes, on, on us. That's what Gideon believes. God has forsaken us. And here Gideon is trying to blame it on God. Gideon here is waiting on God, but God is really waiting on Gideon to do something. Look with me there in Judges verses 14 and 16. It says, The Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might. If you're taking notes this morning or reading in your Bible and you're writing there, underline that. Go in this might, thy might. Now here's a frightened man to death. He's a frightened man. He's frightened to death. God calls him to be a man of valor and speaks of his might. And he says, As, And thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O oh, my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is the poorest in Manassas, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee. And thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. God says, Gideon, I've got a job for you to do. I've got a plan. I've got a job for you to do. You are a mighty man. How did Gideon respond to that? Oh, Lord, do you know who you're really talking to here? Lord of the families of Israel, I'm of the least of the tribes. And of the least of the tribes, I'm the youngest in my family. I'm the runt, if you would, of the litter. You're saying that God is going to use me? And God said, yes, Gideon, I'm going to use you. Friends, I want you to hear what God's telling Gideon and, and what he's saying to us as well here this morning. Don't take and insult God this morning. Don't insult him by saying, I'm not worthy, I'm not capable, I'm not able. God calls you. God asks you to step forward and do something for him. You need to do that for him. You need to step into the breach and do what God calls you to do. You're in yourself, you're not able to do it. I understand that. I'm not able to do anything either. But through Christ, I can do all things the Bible tells us. And we need to stand in the times of trouble today. In the world that we live in, in the world that we work in, all the things that are going on all around us, we need to stand in this day and hear God's voice and walk forward and do what he calls us to do. Not in our might, 
but in his might. But Gideon is concerned. He's trying to blame God. Gideon's trying to wait on God, but God is waiting on him, we've heard. So, friends, I want you to hear what God is telling us this morning and what he's telling Gideon. Let me give you five characteristics, I think, of people that God uses. Number one, God uses common, everyday people. He uses common, everyday people. Look there at Judges 6, 14 and 16. We just read it just a moment ago. We find a fearful farmer, Gideon, but God says he is a man of valor. Why is that? God did not see Gideon as he was. God saw him as he could be, he should be. God saw him with the power upon him that he was going to bestow upon him. You see, it's not what we are in and of ourselves. We might be common. We might just be ordinary. But God sees us with the power that he provides to us. Look there in Judges 6 and 34. The Bible says, By the Spirit of the Lord came, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Do you see that? The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. In the Hebrew language, if you interpret that through Hebrew, it literally means that the Spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. How would you like to wear a suit of God all on you, the Holy Spirit being on you like a suit this morning? I think God wants to do that in our life, but so many times we just, we're just common folks. We're just, just common, ordinary people. God's not going to do that for us. But God says to Gideon, you're a common man. You're just an ordinary person, and I'm going to clothe you with my spirit, and I'm going to send you forth. I'm going to tell you if there's any time in this world that God needs to clothe his people with his Holy Spirit is today in the world that we live. God is looking for men and women who will want to be clothed in his spirit and walk forward in his spirit. Put in your margin of your writing there, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Paul here is telling us, he's telling a group of Christians that they're going to be used to turn the world upside down. And here's what he says, For consider your calling, brethren. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble. But God chose what is foolish. The word foolish comes from our word moron. You just really want to know this down, down to the tax there. In the world's eyes to shame the wise. But chose, God chose the weak in the world, the sickly, the anemic, those who are weak and weary to shame the strong. So God takes these kinds of people. Folks like you and I. What's God saying? It's not the scholarship. It's the relationship. It's not the ability that you have, but it's the availability that you have today. It's not the fame that you might present yourself with and come to God with, but it is the faith that you come to God with that he's looking for. And God wants ordinary people to do extraordinary things. So God himself can have the glory for it. Not yourself, not anyone else around you, but God wants that glory and he wants you to come and do that. He wants to be a part of your life. 
R.C. Sproul tells a story of a man in New Jersey who was advertising he was going to play in a concert on an extra, extremely valuable violin, very costly violin. So people heard this, and they all came that night, and they filled the place up to the brim to hear this man play this extraordinarily valuable violin. And he began to play the violin, and they, some uh, said that it sounded like children playing. Others said that they felt like they could hear the birds in the trees singing. He was playing it just so wonderfully. Some said that they could hear babies crying and the joy of having children. People were amazed at the music that he was presenting to them on this beautiful, very expensive violin. And at the end of his concert, he bowed, and then he went over and he sat down on a stool, and he took that very expensive violin, and he smashed it to the ground and tore it up just shredded it. People were in awe. Oh, my Lord, what is he doing? That expensive violin. As the, calm, the crowd calmed, he said to them, you see, this is a common everyday fiddle. I just bought it down the street, just a little ways down the road for a few dollars. And he said, it's not much. It is not so much the violin that makes the music as it is the man who draws the bow. Now, you may... Be just a cheap fiddle, if you would. I feel that sometimes. I'm just a cheap fiddle in God's hands. But God is the one. He is the maestro. He is the one who is playing the fiddle for, with me. And the music of our life is the life that God wants us to have. God uses common people. God can and wants to use us this morning. So secondly, God uses cleansed people. Look, if you would, to Judges chapter 6, verses 25 and 26. And it came to pass that that same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of the seven-year-old, and throw down the altars of Baal. Baal was a filthy fertility god. He was an... Uh, uh, God that they all took in worship. They sacrificed their children. We heard in Sunday school this morning that he, they sacrificed their children to him. They committed fornication and adultery and all these horrible things that they would do to this God. And the angel that came to him said, this night the Lord says to you, take down, take your father's bull and I want you to go chain it to that altar and we're going to take that thing out there and we're going to pull down the altar. The Lord says, take it down, tear it down. That altar that your father had made, that's an interesting point. So Gideon's father had built this altar. Gideon's father had been involved in this idol worship. As I look at the scripture there and dissect it a little bit, it says, take the younger bull, even the second bullock of seven years old. And I scratched my head a little bit as I read that, and I said, why would we take the second bullock? Why is that? Normally you take the first, you take the best, you take and bring forth that. Most scholars believe that that first bull, the oldest bull, was getting ready to be sacrificed, that his father had uh, sanctified it, if you would, to Baal and was going to sacrifice his bull to the, 
the god uh, Baal. So Gideon was informed to take the second one and to go and to tear the altar down and, and do what he asked to do. And, and Gideon, of course, is probably a little scared at that point. He's a little concerned what's going on. What am I doing and why are you doing this? And in the cover of night, he decides, yes, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and do that. Throw down the, ball, the, the altar of Baal. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God on the top of the rock and in the ordered place and take the bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the woods of the groves which you shall also cut down. Now they worship Baal in these groves and so he was informed to go out and to take down all of this grove and to tear down the altar and to take and put fire on that altar and then to take and slay this young bull to the God that he serves, the God of Yahweh. What's the point here? If we want God to use us, you've got to take the idols out of your life that you have today. If you want God to use you, you have to take the idols out of your life. You say, well, Mark, hold on, hold on. This is more modern day times. We don't have any idols like Baal. We don't have all that stuff going on. Just have to say, are you kidding me? What is an idol? Let's ask that question first. Something made of sticks and stones? No, not necessarily. Let me tell you what an idol is. An idol is anything that you love more, fear more, value more than God. Anything you fear more, love more, serve more, or value more than God. That's an idol. It doesn't matter what it is in your life. It could be anything. But if that's the criteria that you're looking at, it's an idol. You can make an idol out of your job. You can make an idol out of yourself. You can make an idol out of almost anything in the world today. But God says you've got to get the idols out of your life. Now the problem with Gideon and those around him in their lives, they were stained with sin. Hmm. I think we are as well. They had, they had forsaken the Lord, their God, and they were serving idol gods. Even his father was doing this. You want God to use you? If you want God to use you, hear me this morning, God will not, he will not, he will not use you until you get the sin out of your life, that unconfessed sin, those idols that you are continuously are serving versus him. He desires your whole heart, not just a piece of it, but your whole heart this morning. He will not do it. He will not allow you to serve him in the way he wants you to serve him until you get those idols out of your life. Why doesn't God use me today like he did in the Old Testament? You ask that question, it's pretty clear to me, friends. The Bible says in Isaiah 52 and 11, purify yourself. You who bear the vessels of the Lord. What's he saying? We've got to get clean. We need to clean our act up. Not only do we clean our act up, but God, we ought to ask him, help me through this process. Because you can see, I can ask God for forgiveness, but it's then his power and his glory that keeps us and, and sustains us and works us through those things. And then we become perfect in his sight at some point down the road, right? But we have to give up the idols. We have to get beyond that. We've got to clean 
uh, cleanse ourselves and let God fill us up fully and completely with himself. God is not going to use us, friends, if there's an idol in our life. If Jesus is number one in our life, there's not going to be an idol there. So God uses common people. He has to have a cleansed person or people. And I would say number three, God has to, is using courageous people. Look with me over in Judges 6 and 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, and he said unto them, The Lord is with thee. Now watch this. Thou mighty man of valor. Valor? What do you mean valor? We don't use that word much today, do we? But it means courageous. It means courage. Now, not only was God going to use Gideon, but God was going to make Gideon a leader. And he says, Gideon, blow the trumpet. Gather the armies. And so Gideon does what the Lord says. He blows the trumpet. He gathers the people. And what does the Bible say? 32,000 people came to his aid. 32,000 to deliver Israel from the oppression of the Midianites. Over in chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, and it says, And the Lord says unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many. Hold on, hold on. What do you mean, too many? God called them. They all showed up. It's time to go out and to fight these armies of the Midianites. There's thousands of them. We're going to find out it kind of looks like the grasshoppers on the sides of the fields. Huge amount of of army. 32,000 is still not a whole lot. What's going on, God? 32,000. So he says to him, there's too many. So he says, listen, Gideon, I have an announcement. And Gideon stands in front of the people and he does what the Lord says. If there's anybody here who's afraid, I can't use you today. If there's anybody here today that's afraid, God can't use you today. Hmm. I think we're all afraid at times. He tells them to go home. You're excused. And after the stampede of people, Gideon gets up and wipes himself off. He looks around, and what does this say? 22,000 people went home. That's a lot of fearful people. They really weren't up for the battle, were they? They just came for the call. Have you ever seen that happen before in churches? Oh, there's going to be something great happen. Everybody shows up, but then when it's time to do the work, what happens? They all go home. They're all gone. So Gideon is left with 10,000 people. He said, well, that's still a lot of people. Maybe you can do something with that. God's going to do something great, I am sure. And the Lord says to Gideon, the people there are with thee are too many to give the Midianites into their hands. Let Israel boast themselves against me, saying, my own hand hath saved me. So what's what's the the Lord saying? He's saying, if all these people were out there and they fought, they're going to say, look at what we did. They might say, look at what God did for a moment or two. But you know, humans, all of a sudden, look at what we did. We did a great thing, didn't we? It's not what God wanted to do. God did not want them to boast in themselves. He wanted himself to have all the glory and for for them to remember and understand that that's where it came from. Now, therefore, go to proclaim in the ears of the people. Now, underscore this. Whatever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early for Mount Gilead. And they returned the people, 22,000 and 10,000 remained. So they left. If you're afraid, he says, leave, go on. Why is that? 
is I'm going to tell you that fear fits you for failure, not for fighting. Think about that. Fear fits you for failure, not for fighting. And oh, by the way, those who are fearful, they are infectious. Other people will be fearful if you are fearing. So God says, get rid of them. Deuteronomy put it, uh, 20 and 8 says, And the officers shall speak further unto the people. And there shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go home and return to his house, lest that his brother's heart faints as well as his heart. So God says, if there's a war, those who are afraid, just get rid of them. Don't put them in the midst of the battle. Not only get rid of them because they're, they might be good soldiers, but if they're fearful, they're going to infect others and they're going to cause this battle to take and be lost. So are we fearful? Are you saying that we're not supposed to be fearful this morning? Well, I'd say it's, something, it's one thing to be afraid of things. I'm not talking about normal fear here this morning, like being afraid of a rattlesnake or being afraid of an airplane that's shuddering and, and you know, you got turbulence and all of a sudden you're grabbing the person's hand that you don't even know next to you. That's fear that God gives us, I think, in our lives. That's a healthy fear, if you would. That's a normal fear. That's a self-protecting fear, if you would. But as we look here, what he's talking about, it's kind of like, back up for just a moment. It's kind of like when a thunderstorm comes in and we kind of get a little concerned. But I've seen a lot of people who go out and want to see that thunderstorm come through and all of a sudden here comes a tornado and they want to watch it, right? There's some people who are fearful of that and run into the basement. Other ones are crazy and they stand outside and they film the whole thing, right? Which way is God expecting us to be? He wants us to be fearful of those things in life. But he says to us, this is a spiritual fear that was going on. Have you ever seen people with a spiritual fear? 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7 says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What is the spirit of fear? The spirit of fear is like a fog that comes all around you. You can't see anything. It's just lingering there in the air. You don't know what's in front of you. You don't know what's behind you. You begin to be fearful. It's not like a thunderstorm that comes in and then the sun comes out afterwards. It's a fearful situation because you don't know when it's going to lift. You don't know what's going on. But God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, the scripture says. If we're a child of God, the Holy Spirit is working in each and every one of us. God is working in our lives. He's given us the spirit of fear and the spirit of power. And Jesus says over in Acts, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. God has given us a spirit of power and he's given us a spirit of love. You know, love removes fear. It does. Love will remove fear. The question is not, are you brave enough? The question is, do you love enough? Do you love God enough to trust him that whatever you're going to come against, that he's going to take care of it? Or are you still fearful and living in that spiritual fear that I can't overcome anything? That's true, you can't. But through God, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us this morning. We have to understand that this spirit of fear we can't have in our life. We have to give ourselves totally and completely to God. And as we do that, God is going to do great and mighty things with us. 
God hath given us a spirit of fear and of love and of a sound mind. And the word sound mind literally means a mind that cannot be stampeded. One that cannot be overrun by anything that comes against it. It means a mind that sees things as they are. Not afraid of the phantoms out there. Not afraid of the spooks, if you would, or to be trampled on by the devil and his demons. That we will stand strong in our faith with a sound mind. Being filled with the Spirit of God. Giving you not only an assurance that God can use you but you're going to find yourself unusually courageous when that happens. Here's the next kind of person God uses. He uses a cautious person. You say, hold on, that sounds a little contradictory. You know, you said courageous, now you said you need to be cautious. Well, I think that's true. I think that's true. Look there with me in Judges chapter 7, verses 4 and through 8. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still way too many. There's 10,000 of them. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for, where, for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall send him, uh, set to him. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink and the number of those who lapped putting their hands into the mouths were 300. So you have a bunch of guys who run down to this water. It's hot, it's, they're thirsty, and some of them are dipping their head in. Some of them you probably can't even see half of their body. They're, dry, you know, they're just getting water in. They're vulnerable. They're not cautious people. But there were 300 who would lap the water in their hand and be watching all around them. They were cautious. They were watching. Why? Because they knew that the Midianites were very close to them. They knew that the Midianites were there, and these 300 men who were lapping, he said, I'm going to use them to save you from the Midianites and, and uh, to bring them uh, home the victory that I want them to do. So the people took provisions in their hands, the Bible says, and there, the, he gave them a jar and a trumpet and a... And a uh, he gave them a jar and a trumpet and he gave them a, a flaming torch. And he sent all the rest of those folks home of those 10,000. They all went home and the 300 were ready to go. Now God says, all right, Gideon, you've sent the fearful home. You've sent those who are not cautious home. Bring the people down here and let's get this ready to go. And Gideon was a little afraid. He was still a little skittish, and God could sense that. He was still like, what's going on? I'm, I'm not sure. And God knew where it was going on in his heart. So what does he say to him? He says, why don't you go get a buddy? I want you to go get a buddy, and I want you to go down into the camp of the Midianites. I want you to spy out the land, if you would, before you go. Gideon says, okay, I'll do that. So he goes, and he gets his buddy, and he goes down into the camp of the Midianites, I'm going to keep doing that until I stop. I'm sorry. He's going to go down into the, the, to the camp of the Midianites, and he is going to see what's going on down there. So they, somehow they get in, but they get in, and him and his buddy is standing down there, and they're sitting up against this tent, and they hear these two guys starting to talk. And the one guy says, man, I had a weird dream last night. He says, well, what was it? He said, there was this big barley piece of bread. And it rolled down the hill and it flattened the tent. 
that's a weird dream. One guy should probably say, what were you eating last night? Because that, that is a weird dream to see this roll, this big loaf of barley bread roll down the hill and smash the tent. Something's up. But no, the other guy says, you, you know what that is, don't you? That's Gideon. Gideon and his men are coming. And they're going to roll down that hill and they're going to demolish us. What's going on here? God has already started putting the fear of Gideon in the minds of the army that they're getting ready to fight. He has already started putting fear there. He, they're afraid of him. They've heard of Gideon. They know of Gideon. And so Gideon and his friends slip back out of camp and they go back up to the hill and they get back with their folks and he says, guys, I want to tell you something. God has given us this battle. You see, all of a sudden now that strength is coming into Gideon. He knows he's heard what's going on in the camp. He knows what's getting ready to happen. God is starting to use him and, and make him a courageous man. So he tells them, let's go. Let's go, get, go do this. Let's get this done. And so God takes this process here and he starts to work in their, these men's lives and they go down and he says, I want you to take a jar and I want you to take a trumpet, and I want you to take a torch, and I want to spread you out around the camp where the Gideonites are, uh, the Midianites are at. And as they did that, you see, normally in those days, only the leader or the captain of the guard would take the torch. So he says, when I give you a command, I want you to break the jar, and I want the lights to come on, and everybody see the lights that are out there going on, and they're going to look around, and instead of 300 people, they're going to think that there's 300,000 people. Why? Because there typically is 100 people behind each one of those captains, and they're going to be fearful. They're going to fear what's going on. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand uh, of what Gideon was doing, and so Gideon does that, and the people listened to him, and there was a mighty victory that day because of what God did with Gideon and those 300 people. And they gave the glory to who? They didn't give the glory to themselves. They gave the glory to God, and God delivered them. You see, this morning, I, I would tell you that God's victory that day to Gideon was a great feat. Would you like to live in victory like that this morning? Or you just want to move along in life and make it through to the end. And when they say, what did this person do? They just lived and they died. That's all we know. I don't think that's what God has for us this morning. I believe that God wants us to be victorious. I believe that God wants us to be mighty men and women for him. I believe that he is, desires for this church, neither doesn't need to be large or small. Remember, 32,000 or 300. He wants the victory to be done. He wants us to understand that he is on the throne and he loves us and he cares for us and he's desiring that we would do what he calls us to do. Just ordinary people doing what God has called us to do, being fully and completely sold out to him in our lives today, being courageous. God gave Gideon that victory and I believe he wants to give us the victory this morning as well. Now, God may not use you the way you think he wants to use you. He might have different plans for you this morning. Yet, let God decide what that is that he wants you to do. 
You don't choose your place of service. God chooses it for you. And he puts you in the place to do the things that he calls you to do when he calls you to do it. But make yourself available to God. And let God use you. And I believe today that God will do something great in each and every one of our lives. I believe that because he's told us that. We just have to believe it. We have to quit fearing in the world that we live. We have to stand strong for what he believes and what he's given us. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a great spirit of truth in our life through the word of God that he's given us. We need to stand on this truth and do what he calls us to do. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we've been speaking today to your children. You've been speaking to each and every one of us today in this place. We've heard in your holy word that we could be used by God as ordinary people, just simple, ordinary people, that we could be used by God. Father, I thank you for Jesus who came and died on the cross for each and every one of us, that our sins can be forgiven. That he died on that cross, he shed his blood, but in three days he rose again. And today he sits at the right hand with you, interceding for each and every one of us. I thank you for all that he is doing in our life through the Holy Spirit. I ask you, Father, for us to be overachievers today, if you would, for us to step into the gap and start to fight the good fight of faith in the world that we live by being courageous, by being your children, unafraid, unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, I ask you to help us in this world that we live, to encourage us as we go along in our daily work, that you are living within us, that you are caring for us, and that you said you'd never leave us nor forsake us, but you would be with us throughout all of our life. Father, we just thank you right now. We give you praise. In Jesus' name.